Chapter Eleven of Carpenter's World Travels, Alaska, Our Northern Wonderland, by Frank Carpenter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Betty B. Chapter Eleven: The World's Greatest Glaciers. Between Lynn Canal and Seward, there are more than five thousand glaciers. Hundreds of them come down to the sea, and twenty-five are now dropping icebergs into the tidewaters. With the exception of Greenland and Antarctica, Alaska is the greatest glacier region of the world. It has many glaciers in the southeastern part of the territory, some of the biggest of which can be seen in a ride of four or five days from Seattle on a comfortable steamer. I am now in the Lynn Canal on my way from Juneau to Skagway. My ship has been moving in and out among icebergs of crystal sapphire right up to the precipitous ends of these ice rivers that are slowly flowing down the sides of the mountains. Now and then the tide leaves icebergs on the shores, and the tall pines bend over and sweep them with their branches. Looking through my stateroom window, I can see a wall of snow-capped mountains, green almost to their tops. Just opposite me is a great field of ice, upheld between two lofty peaks. That field is miles in width and slopes upward into the clouds. It is a glacier. The true glacial region of Alaska begins a little beyond the international boundary and runs from there along the coast as far as from New York to Chicago. It skirts the ocean and extends for a hundred miles or so back into the interior. Most of the glaciers are north and west of Skagway within an area about 100 miles wide and 500 miles long, a region perhaps as large as New York State. This does not comprise one-tenth of Alaska, but it is that part of the country most frequented by tourists, whose stories have given the idea that the territory is nothing but mountains of ice. The interior of Alaska is comparatively low. The coast glacial region is rugged and high. Many of the mountains are lost in the clouds, and some of them kiss the skies at an altitude higher than any other part of the continent. They are so high, so steep, and so cold that they precipitate the moisture rising from the warm ocean currents that wash southern Alaska and give the snowfall that has built up the glaciers and keeps them alive. Let me show you some of these big ice masses. Taku Inlet is a fjord 18 miles long, walled with steep mountains and guarded by islands. In steaming up it, one can count 45 glaciers. At the end is the Taku, the front of which, where it enters the sea, is a mile wide and more than 200 feet high. At a little distance from the sea, the glacier is two miles wide and it continues to broaden for about eight miles until it is lost in a great ice field close to the boundary of British Columbia. The Taku Glacier is a live glacier. That is, it is moving down to the ocean and dropping great bergs into the sea. It is traveling at the rate of eight or ten feet a day, and some of the masses which fall from it are as large as a city skyscraper. Close by, so near that it can be photographed by a swing of the camera, a dead glacier shows out gray and dusty on the other side of the hill at the west. This is about a mile wide, but it seems to end at the shore. It was at five o'clock in the morning that I had my first sight of the Taku Glacier. The sun was already two hours high, and its rays catching the icebergs floating about in the inlet turned them to enormous sapphires. 
There were hundreds of these blue masses through which our steamer pushed its way to the face of the ice wall. It took us right up to the glacier so that we were within 600 feet of the ice when we stopped. At that moment, the sun came out of the clouds and shone full on the glacier, which became one vast expanse of silver frosted with diamonds and sparkling with sapphires. A moment later, with a deafening report, a great fragment of ice broke off and the face of the glacier looked like a mighty cutting of the whitest ice cream, while the berg fell into the water and rose up a gigantic floating mass of aquamarine. As we anchored, the wind came to us over the glacier. It had been warm in the inlet, but here the icy breath of Jack Frost sent a chill to our bones. It was so cold that I could hardly write. The face of the glacier is ragged. Its top has hundreds, I might say thousands, of peaks, some of them as sharp as spires and others broken and shattered. It reminds one of the relief map of a rugged mountain range. The ice is melting, and now and then, with a noise like thunder, a great mass plunges off into the water. The shooting of a cannon would bring down hundreds of icebergs, and the vibration of the air caused by the blowing of our steam whistle never failed to send an avalanche of ice into the water. The captain of the Humboldt gave a number of salutes to show the effect of the sound. As the shriek of the whistle tore the air, immense blocks began to drop from the glacier. As the whistle continued to blow, there was crash after crash, and at one time a mass as big as a New York office building broke away and splashed down into the ocean. It buried itself in the water, throwing a mighty spray almost to the top of the glacier and causing great billows to roll out to the steamer. A moment later it rose to the height of a hundred feet above the sea and moved up and down on the surface of the water. As the mountain of ice fell, I said to the captain of the Humboldt, a giant of a man, you remind me of Joshua, who commanded the trumpets to blow and the walls of Jericho fell. The scenery of the glacier was so beautiful as to be awe-inspiring. It brought out expressions of wonder from the tourists. I remember especially the words of one woman who stood at my elbow. She said, My, ain't that grand. It reminds me of the drop curtain at our Opry house, but there ain't no polar bear here. As the great ice mass fell into the water, a man, he may have been a restaurant keeper, remarked, Gee, what a lot of ice cream a man could make out of that bunch. The ice, as it comes from the glaciers, seems pure enough for ice cream or even lemonade. The ships sometimes fill their ice chests by lassoing the smaller bergs and hoisting them on board. For a long time, considerable business was done in picking up this ice and selling it to the mining camps and towns. About 50 years ago, glacier ice was shipped from southern Alaska to San Francisco at $75 a ton and a little later contracts were made at $35. Not far from the glacier, we saw a large deer swimming about in the water. Our steamer passed within 200 feet of him, and a Texan on board said he could have lassoed him from the deck. The deer had magnificent antlers. Its horns and head rose above the water, and its body could be seen close to the surface. It was still swimming as we moved onward, and we saw some hunters near the shore start out to catch it. They chased the animal this way and that, and finally dragged it into their boat. From Juneau, I rode out in an automobile to see the Mendenhall Glacier. The moraine of this mighty ice mass lies within nine miles of the city. 
one can leave the liveliest section of the liveliest town in alaska surrounded by mines and mills by stores and banks and the other activities of businessmen and within less than an hour be in the heart of the wilds and in the shadow of one of the most famous glaciers of this wonderful territory think of going to a glacier by automobile i have climbed vesuvius by a wire cable and have crawled up the rigi by the famous cog railway but this was my first experience in shooting a moraine in a gasoline car i went as the guest of mr b h barons the banker of Juneau, a man who as they say down south is the very spitten image of james whitcomb raleigh and in good fellowship quite the equal of the hoosier poet we rode from Juneau right into the woods trees from fifty to one hundred feet high climbed the steep walls about us and elderberry bushes with trunks as big around as my arm brushed our wheels as we passed the sides of the road were lined with ferns of a dozen varieties and wild flowers blue red and yellow we passed through great beds of crimson fireweed and rode through thousands of lupins the hue of the sky there were also wild carrots with their lace-like blossoms of white and fuzzy yellow devil clubs in some places the grass was as high as my waist and the mountain slopes on both sides of the road were the greenest of green the vegetation was more like that of the mountains of java than i had expected to find in alaska our way was over the path of the glacier the valley through which we went was once filled with its ice but this has slowly receded leaving the earth covered with cobbles and great boulders ground smooth and round in their long glacial ride nevertheless flowers grow among the stones and their red and blue blossoms dot the landscape as we came nearer the glacier the size of the boulders increased some of them weighed many tons they were of white and black granite with here and there some slate in the windings of the valley we turned to the right and all at once came in sight of the glacier the mountains on each side are as high as the crest of the alleghanies and the glacier half fills the valley between it juts out in a precipitous ice wall which runs back and gradually rises to the skyline until it seems to fill the whole space between the hills and to merge into the clouds coming closer we rode almost to the foot of the glacier there we left the car and climbed over the rocks of the moraine to the edge of the glacial stream which flows along the foot of the ice wall the mendenhall glacier where it bursts forth from the mountain is about a mile wide it is a huge corrugated wall of blue and white ice sloping upward into ice mountains which in the distance seems to be of carved marble its face is ploughed by deep furrows and pitted with many small holes which the guides tell the credulous chichaco or tenderfoot have been made by the ice worms they say there are certain worms that live in the ice and are often caught and eaten by the starving miners indeed they prove the story by showing a photograph of a miner actually chewing the worms which he is sucking from the ice the man is real but the worms are strings of spaghetti from the lynn canal westward for a distance of four or five hundred miles are to be found the greatest glaciers of alaska general greeley catalogued the names and locations of more than two hundred of them and g k gilbert of the harriman expedition says the ice covers from fifteen thousand to twenty thousand square miles most of these glaciers are within one hundred miles of the ocean the largest being on the south side of the coast range 
There are eleven wide glaciers on Prince William Sound, and standing on the street corner in Seward, one can see glaciers all about on the sides of the mountains. Nearly every Alaskan river has its source in a glacier. The tributaries of the Yukon and the Kuskokwim are fed by ice masses. The Tanana, upon which the town of Fairbanks is located, is formed by the Chisana and Nebesna rivers, both of which rise in glaciers in the Wrangell Mountains. And the Susitna springs forth from a glacier of the Alaskan Range. The Copper River is fed by glaciers and the railway, which goes through its valley, connecting the Kennecott Mines with the sea, passes between the Childs Glacier and the Miles Glacier on its way to Cordoba. Glacier Bay, only a short distance from the end of the Lynn Canal, is a body of water 50 miles long, with more than half a dozen glaciers of enormous size sloping down to it. The biggest is the Muir Glacier, named after John Muir, who discovered it. It is three miles wide where it enters the water, and the height of the ice wall is almost 1,000 feet, 700 feet being lost in the bay. The Muir Glacier is very lively. It has been supposed by some to move as much as 60 feet a day, but a fair estimate would be about one-sixth of that speed. Very few of the well-known glaciers move more than a foot a day, although there are some in Alaska that move from five to ten feet. There is one in northern Greenland that is said to travel over four feet every hour. The movement of a glacier may be measured by laying stones upon it or by driving posts into the surface. As the mass slips onward, the space between these posts and fixed points on the landscape shows how fast it is traveling. In addition to the valley glaciers, Alaska has great ice fields, or caps, such as the Malaspina Glacier, a sheet of ice larger than the state of Rhode Island. It has a front of about 50 miles as it faces the sea and runs 30 miles inland to the St. Elias Range. It is really a vast plain, or plateau, of ice with lakes and rivers, and with hills and mountains of gravel. It is the biggest ice field on the North American continent, although it is only a patch in comparison with the ice caps of Greenland and Antarctica. The Greenland cap has an area of over 400,000 square miles, being two-thirds as big as the whole of Alaska. The ice sheet of Antarctica is supposed to cover about 3 million square miles. It is as big as the United States. Some years ago, the Malaspina Glacier was shaken by an earthquake, which changed its whole surface, twisting the bedrock and uprooting the timber for miles about. In 1912, a lake in one of the crevasses of the Miles Glacier burst through the walls of ice and hurled blocks weighing thousands of tons down into the river. A wave 30 feet high spread over the flats, and icebergs weighing many tons were jammed against the bridge of the Copper River Railroad. End of chapter 11